I Am The Law is brought to you by Blueprint LSAT Test Prep, which reports an average score increase of 15 points. With the first AI-powered QBank, fun videos, personalized study plans, and engaging 98th percentile instructors, Blueprint has helped thousands of students crush their LSAT goals. Learn more at BlueprintLSAT.com. From Law Hub, this is I Am The Law, a podcast where we talk with lawyers about their jobs to shed light on how they fit into the larger legal ecosystem. In this episode, Kimber Russell interviews a project manager who does economic development with foreign investors and local real estate developers. Support comes from Seton Hall University School of Law in Newark, New Jersey, where you can enroll full-time or in the weekend JD program. In the heart of New Jersey, with proximity to New York City, Seton Hall is dedicated to your outcomes, evidenced by high employment and bar passage rates. Its one-student-at-a-time approach supports you throughout your time in law school. Their flexible, hybrid, weekend JD program allows working professionals to balance work, family, and law school. Learn more at law.shu.edu. Support also comes from the University of Idaho College of Law and its two locations. The Moscow location has all the resources of the university's main campus, neighboring a picturesque, charming college town. The Boise location is in the heart of downtown, just blocks from the seat of government. Either Idaho Law location provides an abundance of outdoor opportunities. As the only law school in the state, Idaho Law provides near-exclusive access to the courts, the legislature, and the rapidly developing business and nonprofit communities. Today, we're joined by Laura Hughes, who is a 2014 graduate of St. Louis University School of Law. Laura pursued a JD for a second career, and prior to law school, she actually spent 17 years with Sprint, where she worked in a whole bunch of different roles, including project management. And recently, Laura has even obtained a real estate license. So you have been extremely busy doing a lot of different things for a long time. Tell us about what is project management and what that meant for you. The principle behind project management is balancing three areas. That includes the costs, the budget, and the time for project. Can you give us an example of a kind of project that you really excelled in when you were at Sprint? I was responsible for providing responses to RFPs. And that particular piece of site management involved a great deal of zoning and understanding what type of requirements were necessary for cell tower location. Say, for example, a a customer wants to use cell phone service. Before they'd actually use their service or we convert them to the Sprint network, we'd actually go out and verify that the site was prepared properly to receive cellular service. So that sounds like it has a nice confluence with what you're currently doing now. You are currently at the World Trade Center in St. Louis. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means? The World Trade Center in St. Louis is actually a sister or partner to the other World Trade Centers, more famously the World Trade Center in New York. The regional center that I'm a part of, it's called Gateway to the Midwest Investment Center. Our Gateway to the Midwest Investment Center manages international investments into local real estate development projects. Your exact title is, is, is kind of a mouthful. It's EB-5 Project Manager. What does that mean? What is EB-5? 
Immigration and Customs Services has categories of visas, and EB stands for Employment Base. So EB, standing for Employment Base Category 5 Visa, is an exchange of a visa for foreign investment into a local development project. So these are limited time visas to allow foreign investors to come into the country and operate in a different way than they normally would were they not a part of this program. Actually, they're permanent visas. So in exchange for the investment at the end of the project, the immigrant investor has an opportunity to remain in the United States. Permanently. Wow. So that's a great inducement for foreign development. That's an excellent opportunity for our local developers to have an infusion of capital from a foreign investor. Now, I know a lot of visa programs have quotas or lotteries. How does that operate for the EB-5 program? Immigration and Customs Services allots 10,000 visas per country. So the quota each year is is approximately 10,000. That doesn't sound like a lot, really. That's a huge amount of, of visas and opportunities if you look at the number of development projects that become available for an investment of foreign currency. And what are the requirements in order to obtain one of these visas? To qualify for the EB-5 program, we have what's called a targeted employment area. It's based on the census tract calculation. So say, for example, most urban areas within the city, there's a a huge amount of unemployment. What Immigration and Customs Services is trying to do with the EB-5 program is increase jobs. So as long as that particular development project increases 10 or more jobs, it qualifies for $500,000 of foreign investment. My question is, how do foreign investors find out about these opportunities? There's a huge market. There are a great number of broker-dealers that participate in tons of conferences and events that provide tons of information about EB-5. And what is your role in all of that? Are you sort of the matchmaker, the person that's going out and pitching the availability of these, of these visas and these opportunities to, to foreign investors? Exactly. So this kind of ties back to my, my role and my passion for real estate. I have an opportunity to work with a great number of developers that are interested in, say, for example, taking advantage of a rehabilitation project that turns into mixed-use development. I would go after those particular developers, and if they're in my targeted employment area, an area that suffers for a high amount of unemployment, I would assist that developer in positioning his project so that he could qualify for foreign investment. So yeah, that leads us into what a day in the life of an EB-5 project manager is like. So say, what what would a typical, and I'm sure each day is, is very different, but what would some typical things be that you might do on any given day? Um, working with the developer to draft or revise a business plan, to analyze a feasibility study, to look at budgeting and cost analysis to make sure that the due diligence on a particular project is going to meet the investor requirements. And so the majority of my day, if I'm not interacting with someone from the legal community, that being a securities counsel or an immigration attorney, I am working on some piece of drafting or revising to help manage the project. I'm interested in how you nurture relationships with new clients. First of all, Where do you specifically go to find clients? 
definitely a great deal of networking. Um, I spend a lot of time at city council meetings, I spend a lot of times at community meetings, and I honestly spend a lot of times on the internet learning about new opportunities that are potentially projects here in St. Louis. If I understand correctly, the projects that really are the ones that you're going to be targeting are ones that need capital infusion and might not otherwise be able to to get it from domestic sources. That's correct. Most of the projects that are successful do have an opportunity to take advantage of commercial lending. However, if they are in an area that is meeting my criteria in terms of high amount of unemployment, I offer that developer an opportunity to receive the foreign investment at a lower cost of capital than he would have an opportunity via just a regular commercial lender. So it sounds like it's it's a really attractive option, especially for developers who are really trying to get out there and create new opportunities in these specifically targeted regions. And more so, it gives the developer an opportunity to become a little bit more vested in our local development. And what I mean by that is they have an opportunity to impact someone's life by offering them the opportunity to obtain their, their, their citizenship here in the United States. On the other side of that, I'm sure not every client or potential client is going to be one that would be an optimal client. Absolutely. Because if the project as a whole does not produce at a, at a minimum 10 jobs and it's not located in an area that needs those particular jobs, then that particular project would not qualify. Are there projects that might otherwise qualify, say they do provide the, the requisite amount of jobs and they're in the targeted area, but for other reasons, funding doesn't go through? Does that ever happen? I have tons of projects that are going to be successful and that they're great opportunities and great projects, but I'm trying to sell a project overseas to, say, for example, an investor that has never stepped foot in the United States. So that investor has to rely very heavily on what's out there on the internet and the success of prior projects in that particular industry. So say, for example, hotel development, that tends to be a very secure investment for for an investor that has never taken advantage of an international opportunity. Ultimately, though, is it your choice to accept who is, is put forward for some of these development funds? The investor is the one that has the final decision. I just position the project and put it in its best light such that it matches apples to apples prior projects that have been successful with EB-5. So you are kind of like a matchmaker. You've got the bride and the groom, the developer and the, and the funder and determining, well, I think you guys would be great together, but ultimately they have to decide to make the match, right? Correct. That's a great way of putting it. Support comes from Vermont Law and Graduate School. Vermont Law and Graduate School empowers students to dream big. It welcomes and shares passions for social justice, the environment, criminal justice reform, and so much more. At BLGS, realism and idealism collide. Together, students and faculty positively transform the world around them. From an accelerated two-year JD to an online hybrid JD, BLGS offers innovative programs where you can learn at your own pace. To learn more, please visit vermontlaw.edu. Support also comes from Albany Law School. Albany Law School is committed to increasing access to the legal profession. Albany Law's online FlexJD delivers all the benefits you'd expect from an institution that's been educating future lawyers and leaders since 1851. With one in-person session per year, you'll complete most of your work online, 
giving you the flexibility you need to earn your law degree when and where it works for you. To find out how you can begin your journey to earning a JD, visit albanylaw.edu today. Support also comes from Baylor Law School, the smallest and oldest law school in Texas. Baylor Law has three entering classes, 15 tracks of study, strong bar passage and employment rates, robust scholarship offerings, numerous clinics and joint degree programs, and a focus on preparing excellent and ethical lawyers. Visit the Baylor Law website to learn more and to apply for free to the spring, summer, and or fall entering classes. You mentioned there's a lot of internet searching and that certain parties who've never been to the United States are depending heavily on what they can find online. What is the due diligence on your behalf that you undertake to help this process along? I can say that due diligence definitely is a buzzword throughout the industry that has a variety of meanings. But specifically at the regional center, we do the very first level on the developer side and vetting out that developer, making sure that they have risk and contingencies built into their plan to ensure the success of the project. Equal amounts of due diligence take place on the investor side where broker dealers vet out the source of funds and make sure that the investor is, how can I put it, transparent in terms of their endeavors here in the United States. That leads, that leads me to a question that might be a little uncomfortable, but, but when you're dealing with foreign entities, there is a question of potential corruption. How do you, how do you overcome that in your position? Every three years, the EB-5 program um, has to come up for redesignation. And at this point, September 30th is our deadline for some type of proposed revision to take place in terms of the EB-5 industry. And so right now there's um, bipartisan efforts to review the current process for EB-5 to address a lot of what the media has perceived as fraud that associates with EB-5. So you mentioned the perceived media account. What's your real take on that? What, what do you think the media isn't quite getting right? Of course, anytime you're dealing with investments, there's great opportunity for fraud. But when certain individual may present information that's not accurate or they're not entirely honest with their, again, endeavors, I think it's unfair to tarnish the entire EB-5 reputation based on the, the acts of a certain individual. And so when you Google EB-5, tons of information comes up that says there have been multiple opportunities where investments have gone south and the investors have lost their shirt, you know stolen dreams of EB-5 visas. With any investment opportunity, there's always going to be risk. And I believe, especially with the multiple layers of due diligence and the high scrutiny that's being placed on the regional centers, I believe that we're doing a very good job of being compliant and meeting all of the immigration and customs services requirements to make sure that we're vetting the source of funds, that we're providing solid uh, projects that will produce the required number of jobs, and more importantly, create opportunities in areas that have been hardest hit by unemployment. Is there a potential that the political will would shift to defund this program? I believe as, as passionate as myself and 
all of the other EB-5 advocates are, I doubt that that would happen because the program is so popular. And so when you have huge stories that have proven to produce jobs in surpass of their uh, original estimate, it's a great opportunity, again, for both the developers and the investors. Now, with all of this happening, I'm sure on a day-to-day basis, there are some struggles. What are some of the biggest headaches you encounter during your job? The multiple layers of compliance. There's so many steps, sub-steps that I need to take, and they're constantly changing. The securities laws is one of the huge endeavors that we have to consistently comply with, making sure that although we're not brokering a particular deal, but all the documents that we're managing through the regional centers are compliant. I kind of want to circle back now and talk a little about how you came to this position, because we know you've always been really interested in real estate and you've got a lot of project management experience. But how did you get this specific job so close to graduating from law school? I was very fortunate to receive uh, an email over the Christmas holiday entering my final semester of my third year law school. And the opportunity read, you know, do you have a passion for real estate and project management and international background? And it sounded like they were reading a script from my resume. So as a result, I applied over the Christmas holiday and I believe started as early as like New Year's Eve working on researching EB-5 opportunities here locally. So it sounds to me like part of your real passion comes to really being able to reinvigorate your community and to give opportunities that people might not otherwise have. I love economic development. I like that they take the buildings that are on the National Registry and restore them as opposed to just tearing them down. There's a whole industry out there that's dedicated to that, and I absolutely love it. You know, St. Louis right now, unfortunately, you hear about Ferguson. That's all you hear about. I want to be in the news for another reason. I want to be in the news because I'm giving someone an opportunity. I'm taking advantage of restoring an old building. I'm giving something life. You know, I'm bringing it back. Being born and raised in St. Louis to drive around and see a lot of the just magnificent structures that just need a little bit of, of, of love to them. And so you mentioned me being the matchmaker. This gives me an opportunity to find a bride for a groom or a groom for a bride. It gives me an opportunity, again, being born and raised here in St. Louis to see us grow, see us be a part of of something new and exciting. I Am The Law is a Law Hub production. Don't forget to subscribe and rate this show in your favorite podcast app. Thank you to our presenting sponsor, Blueprint LSAT Test Prep. Thank you also to our other sponsors, LSAT Lab, Seton Hall University School of Law, Vermont Law and Graduate School, and Baylor Law.